0: Hello, kiddies, and welcome to another exciting episode of the IntelliKey Podcast. I am your humble host, Paul Lado, and today we are going to add on a little bit. We're going to talk about going Professor X. So, Some of you love my uh, Becoming Superhuman podcast so much that you asked me for more, more. So um, I thought I'd give you guys three really cool mind hacks um, that I often use uh, to kind of help me. Through life, so one of the things I found is that as I get progressively older, um, cognitive capabilities, uh, memory, all these sort of things um, they kind of get away from me a little bit, and so what happens is I I exercise my body, but I exercise my mind as much as I do my body through a series of exercises, everything from the luminosity app uh, right through these little tricks, these little mind hacks that I like to kind of implement. So uh, you guys asked for it. You guys got it. Uh, as usual, the rules of engagement. Uh, I don't do research. This is opinion-based podcasting. I swear a lot. Fuck, shit, Ask cunt and uh so if you don't like that you just gotta go you gotta turn shit off right now um and of course anything that i do works for me doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for you so take it with a grain of salt don't try it and then come back and go it didn't work i don't know maybe you did it wrong maybe it just doesn't work for you so take it all with a grain of salt we've got some crazy music from the clash to radical face to oasis to the pixies Everclear, you name it. So I hope you guys stay with me for the next hour. I'm looking forward to doing this show for you. I'm going to play a couple songs and we'll be back soon.
1: Could you whisper in my ear The things you want to feel I'll give you anything To feel it coming Do you wake up on your own I wonder where you are, and live with all your faults. I want to wake up where you are I won't say anything at all Let me kill the priest is on the phone Your father hit the wall Your mother sold you Don't suppose I'll ever know nothing but fall you put your arms around me what you feel is what you are what you Nothing that falls off me Put your arms around me What you feel is what you are What you are
0: kick-off with our very first mind hack, and that is about being able to count faster with subitizing. Wow, you guys are like, subitizing? lado has gone like full crazy here. So here's the thing, right? You don't need counting if a group is small enough, right? Subitizing will do the job, and it's almost instant, right? So the brain has two methods for counting, and only one is really officially called counting. That's the regular way when you look at a set of items and check them off one by one. Okay? So uh, you have some system of remembering which have already been counted. So you count from the top, perhaps then increment. You go seven, eight, nine, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. The other way though, the way that I use subvertising is way faster. It's up to five times faster per item, right? The catch here is that subitizing works only for really small numbers, up to about four. But it's fast. It's so fast that uh, some people actually think that it's instantaneous. And I often use this with some of the luminosity uh, exercises that I use, right? So let's see if I can kind of describe this in action. So let's say you have two sets of, of, we'll call them stars, right? Uh, you can tell how many sets there are in A, there might be three, and you can tell how many there are in B, right, which there are six, okay? And I kind of, look, just bear with me, right, I know it fucking seems obvious, um, and I also know that it might seem to you guys that it takes longer to see how many stars there are in the larger set, the larger set of six instead of three, um, but that's exactly the point, Right? If you can tell and it feels immediate how many stars there are when there are three of them, why not when there are six? Why not when there are 11 uh, or, or 100 or, or 300, right? If you can visually see something as being more than the others, why can't you increase that exponentially, right? And this is how it works, okay? So they do seem like different processes, right? Subitizing and counting. But if you look at the studies of how long it takes for a person to look at some shapes on the screen and report how many there are, the time grows at 40 to 80 milliseconds per item, up to four, then increases by 250 to 350 milliseconds beyond that. So up to four items, 40 to 80 milliseconds, right? Any items after that, 250 to 350 milliseconds, right? Or... I can put it another way, right? Assessing the first four items takes only a quarter of a second. It takes another second for every four items after that. And that's a big jump. So if you see four items, it takes only a quarter of a second. But if there was eight items, right, it takes another second, right? So that's a huge jump. And the difference between the two is excuse me, kind of comes out of the subjective experience, right? Because counting feels like a very kind of deliberate act. One, two, three. You must direct your attention to each item. You have to look at each item in isolation. And um, your eyes, in the star example, your eyes move from star to star. Okay, one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, right? In the second set. Subitizing, on the other hand, it feels kind of preemptive your eyes don't need to move from star to star at all there's no deliberate act required you just know that there are four coffee mugs on the table or three people in the lobby without having to check you just look so for small items our brain can almost preempt automatically uh because they're they're kind of easy to group together whereas with larger items you have to specifically count and um, it's this kind of thing that has led some researchers to believe that subitizing isn't an act in itself. It's more kind of a, a side effect of, of visual processing, right? Now, we know that uh, we are able to keep track of a limited number of objects, right? Automatically and follow them as they kind of move around and, and change, right? Like you look at shadows to figure out the shape of the environment. Um object tracking seems to be almost kind of like a built-in feature of visual processing, and it's almost involuntary, right? The limit on how many objects can be tracked and how many items can be subitized is kind of similar, right? Um, some people say the reason sabotaging is so quick is that the items to be counted have already been tagged by this kind of visual processing system, and so there's no kind of further work required to figure out how many of them they are, and so... With this view, counting is an entirely separate process that occurs only when your own personal object tracking capacity is reached, right? Counting then kind of has to remember which items have been enumerated and proceeded in kind of a serial way from item to item to see how many they are. And unfortunately, there's no confirmation of this view when looking at which parts of the brain are active while each of the two mechanisms is in use, right? subitizing doesn't appear to use any separate part of the brain that isn't also used when counting is in, in employed, right? Having said that, and I've thought a lot about this, that's not to say that the viewpoint of fast subitizing as a side effect is incorrect, only that it's still, you know, hasn't been proven yet. It's still a little bit of of conjecture. So real life, let's look at how we apply this in real life. So you, and I believe this, you don't have to look far to see some real world impact of the speed difference between sensing the quantity of items and actually having to count them, right? If you look at an abacus, some have 10 beads in a row. Uh, and these would be hard and slow to use if it wasn't for the kind of Russian design of coloring the two central beads, right? So this visual differentiation divides a row into three groups with the top size of four beads, perfect for instantly sabotaging with no need for actual counting, right? It's a little design assistance to work around a numerical limitation of the brain, which is it has to count all these beads by dividing them up. You can visually tell, you can visually sabotage and tell that it's a half and half. Um we also, a lot of times, sabotage crowds of opponents in the kind of fast-moving first-person shooter video games to kind of assess what we're up against and back off if that's what we need to do. So the importance of sizing up the opposition as fast as possible in these types of games has a nice side effect of training our subitizing routines, right? So in in I guess in summary, subitizing isn't counting. And what happens is our brains visually can group things and if they're small groups we can almost tell immediately without even having to count how many there are up to four or so but um, if they're larger than four it's going to start adding on a second for every four that's added because we cannot visually process we have to go back to making that deliberate kind of activity of counting all right hope you guys have enjoyed that i'm going to play a couple more songs and we'll be back soon (laughs) le le le
1: Let me know when I'll sing in your ear again Now the trucks don't work They just make you worse But I know I'll see your face again This baby Coming to Oh no.
0: Those of you that know me know that I love a good game of poker, right? Not professionally, just with my friends, you know, monthly poker games and stuff. I love them. Big shout out to my brother, Chu, who organizes these poker games in his garage. There's a lot of piss taking. But one of the things is, and I don't play with cheaters. I play with regular guys, but I've always been fascinated by uh, the ability to detect people that cheat at kind of card games, right? And uh, I'm going to give you guys some really cool kind of methods to, to try and detect it. And I want you guys to practice these, especially if you like to have poker games. Um, so a kind of our sense of logic it's, it is much better when applied to kind of social situations than when actually used in abstract scenarios, right? That's a given. Everyone fucking knows that. So despite this kind of old saying that we're ruled by our emotions, it's quite tempting to believe that we have at least some intuitive kind of sense of logic and the various forms of logic such as um, syllogisms and deductive and inductive reasoning seem quite simple and fundamental so simple and fundamental that you might expect that the rules are kind of hardwired into our brains because after all since we're constantly told that our neurons are the equivalent of computer processes, like i don't see why our brains shouldn't be able to handle a little bit of logic right so we can see how we do things on logical puzzles, okay? So imagine with me, if you will, four cards, right? Each of the cards has a letter on the outside and a number on the reverse. So like you've got A with two and K with seven. Now, if I told you that there was a rule stating that a card with a vowel on one side must have an even number on the reverse, which of these cards would you need to turn over to prove or disprove this rule? right? So vowels, even, right? Consonants, odd. So you got A with two, A on one side, two on the other, K on one side, seven on the other. You turn over the A card, right? A is a vowel, two is an even number, right? Most people will turn over A and two, but that's actually not quite right. Because while you're turning over A, right? will tell you whether one side of the rule is true, if vowel, then even number. Turning over two won't tell you any more. So think about that. If you turn over A, right, that will tell you if the rule is true because we know that if it's a uh, vowel, then it's going to be even, right? But if you turn over two, no one's actually told you that if it's even, it's also going to have a vowel on the other side. It doesn't matter whether 2 has a K or an A, or it's on its kind of reverse, the rules doesn't specify either being true, right? Along with A, the other card you need to turn over is 7. If 7 has an A on its reverse, then the rule is disproved, no matter what the A has on its reverse, you need to turn over both A and 7, right? So most... People, right, do not solve this riddle on the first try. And it, it took me a couple of months to actually look at this and, and sit there with a number of kind of cards that I'd made and, and work out how this focuses in my brain. But it does show that humans don't possess any net, side of abstract logic rules, right? And yet, we fucking manage to get by without these rules, okay? So, how does it work? So, why are logic problems so much easier when they're expressed in real-life situations rather than abstract terms? So one early hypothesis was called uh, memory cueing, right? And, and that proposed that we solve logic problems by drawing on personal experience. So if we've seen it before, then it's most probably the same again. Without using any deductive reasoning whatsoever, it's purely just cueing. We've all experienced the problems of you know drinking ages enough times that we kind of don't even have to think about who should be drinking what, right so we go 15 shouldn't be drinking right we, we just know it and kind of despite the fact that there's a lot of evidence behind memory queuing there's still a lot of scientists that believe that in practice we use more than just experience that there is in fact some thinking involved right instead there's these researchers that think while that um while we might not be so good at pure logic, we're excellent at the logic we need in in real life rules, permissions, and, and kind of obligations. So we kind of have this thought that although we're not, if someone says, are you a logical person? They go, no, I'm an emotional person. You still have this innate logic, right? It's called uh, deontic logic, which is what helps us solve everyday logic problems by kind of developing uh, this kind of pragmatic reasoning schema, right? Right. And so it it shouldn't be surprising that our ability with logic is kind of domain specific. It's limited to kind of analyzing the complex web of permissions and obligations we encounter in life. If we haven't seen it before, we don't have experience of it. We don't have a kind of, um, you know, deontic logic for it. Um, And it's been suggested that... um, in, in some evolutionary psychology circles, that the reason we seem to possess this kind of domain specific logic is because it's been selected for by evolution over kind of countless generations to ensure our survival, right? They argue that the really important parts of the schemas are those about people. In other words, we're all born with a mental logic required to understand the costs, benefits, social contracts involving dealing with other people. And it's a really good argument since the ability to kind of make beneficial deals is a very valuable survival trait. Our ability to use logic when, when interacting with others, you know, it could be the difference between you getting fucking stabbed or not, right? <coughs> However, I, I believe personally that that theory can't be the whole story. Because we have no problem in solving a lot of logic problems that have nothing to do with survival and costs and benefits or indeed other people at all. So as an example, right, the rule, if you're going to clean up spilt blood, then you need to wear rubber gloves. It's easily understood and applied, even though it doesn't concern other people. It's all has to do with you. So I guess my thoughts are, before you kind of give up and resign yourself to a life without logic, it's kind of worth remembering that along with the countless other skills that we aren't born with, we can understand logic the hard way by learning it, right? And that's one of the things about these hacks, right? And the the thing about these hacks is that they can all be learned. They can all be worked on, right? You don't sit there and go, I'm a dummy. I'll never get this. You can. I've spent a lot of time thinking about these things, and I hope you guys do too. All right. I'm going to play a couple of songs, and uh, we'll be back soon. Hey! Ben chan! choose it myself so um let's do a shout out to some of our beautiful wonderful show sponsors tracks restaurants at 533 nepean highway bomb beach and zanko at 627 nepean highway in carom uh monday nights wednesday nights palmer night thursday nights, steak night at tracks at zanko it's like tuesday night thursday night palma night and monday night steak nights, somewhere between 20 to 22 23 bucks you get a massive meal those palmas are massive bigger than your head even if you are a buff head and you get a, a drink with it as well so go down there get something to eat tell them paulie sent you they'll sort you out uh Ozpetminders at OzPetMinders.com.au. um Call today on 0 your trusted pet care alternative. Mr. Kevin Spencer, he does dog walking, pet transport, waste removal, feeding and watering, administers medications. If you go away, they do bins in and out, security checks, you name it, they do it. So reach out to Mr. Spencer on 0 or go to ozpetminers.com. That are you, your trusted pet care alternative. And of course, dubsis.com, that's D O O B S I S S.com, my homeboy Ivan, web and application development. Um, that dude does it all. Uh, he does new websites, changes existing websites, front end and back end application development, JavaScript, PHP custom modules, on page and off page search engine optimization, everything you need for your web application development needs. Go to dupsis, that's D O O B S I S S dot com, and reach out to Big Ive. And of course, Cruise PT, my little brother. Uh, cruise, fill the cruise uh, at cruise PT. That's C R U Z space PT for personal training. Uh, went to one of his classes during the week, dude. I was tired. Um, reach out to him if you've ever wanted to get super fit, learn how to fight a lot of Muay Thai, a lot of boxing without getting punched in the face. He's your man. Reach out to cruise PT on Facebook and Instagram, he's got some mad workouts out there. You will love him, okay. Um, Today, I'm giving you guys some awesome mind hacks that I use and that I kind of continue to practice and kind of make you guys super cool. And um, the last one I want to give you guys is to navigate your way through memory, right? So there's this trick. It's uh, about 2,500 years old and shows how our memory for events may be based on our ability to remember routes to get to places, right? So how you navigate your way to places can also be a, a way that you navigate through your memories, through your memories, should I say. So remembering where you are and what is currently happening, right, as you might expect, both are both really important, right? And it turns out that orienting yourself in space may rely on some of the same brain areas as are used for remembering what has happened to you, right? Um. The demonstration I'm going to give you guys is a famous memory trick used to remember a list of arbitrary things, right? So you know the one where they like they got like ten things and then they cover them, then they you, you get a look at them, then they cover them, you take it away and you remember what it is, right? But the bonus with this one uh, is that the things are remembered in order, and it's called a method de loci, right? Or method of loci, and involves remembering things according to where they are positioned along a route. So simply take your list of things. To remember and place them along a familiar route, right? And you imagine each item at key points on that route, okay? So, for example, if you grew up on a specific street and you knew all your neighbors, uh, you could basically place each item along each neighbor's home so that by remembering where each neighbor was, you also remember each individual thing. It makes sense, right? So I did this experiment, right, thinking of how many words I, I think I could remember if I was given an arbitrary list of around 10 seconds per word in, in which to learn them, right? And to be honest, my memory isn't all that good. So I thought maybe I could remember around 20. So I kind of used a method of loci and I managed to remember 20 words, so twice what I thought I was going to learn. And um, the other thing was, when I did this, I didn't want to come up with my own list because it would be easier for me to remember. So I used the like 20 most common words appearing in the lyrics of Tom Waits. And I love fucking Tom Waits. Right. And those words, and I'll give them to you there. Night, time, love, day, eye, dream, moon, home, rain, heart, death, dog, blue, road, drink, street, blood, red, hair, girl. They're the top 20. Right. Now. You might think that 20 is too easy. So you know what? You can use a the list or give yourself less time. Give yourself five seconds. But 20 in four minutes seem really crazy to me, right? So I started with night. There's 131 mentions across Tom White's entire discography of the word night. And finished with girl where there's 40 mentions, right? I'm a bit of a stats geek. Fucking sue me. And I imagined something to do with each item at each point of the journey and kind of from the front room of my house where I was sitting to kind of like my nearest train station. That That's how I did it. You don't have to do it that that way. And um, after kind of mentally doing the journey and noting the items thrown along the way, you know, love letter at the foot of the stairs, a drink of coffee at the cafe on the corner and so forth, and I kind of checked that I thought I'd remember them all. My four minutes were up, and I pulled out my notebook and got my pen ready to write down the list of items. Right? And normally, what I find with me is that when I try to do this stuff, my mind just goes blank, right? And everything that I'm meant to remember just kind of disappears as soon as it leaves my sight. But instead, using the method of loci, I was really fucking amazed at how quick and easy it was to remember all the words, right? I got every item right and only had two out of order which for an old fucker like me is amazing so try that yourself right it doesn't have to be words it can be things it can be people it can be numbers anything right and uh this is actually one of the tricks that professional memory artists use to remember lists of hundreds and even thousands of things so it really really works you have got to give it a shot people Give it a shot. So how would we apply this in real life? And we can see this processing at work when we give and follow directions, right? If you are following directions and go past something that's an obvious landmark and your directions don't kind of specify it, you know something's wrong, right? You got to go past the statue of St. John. You don't see the statue of St. John, you go, what the fuck? Or you see the statue of St. James, you go, what the fuck, right? And interestingly, there's also evidence from brain imaging that supports the well-known fact that men and women tend to navigate in a different manner, right? So ladies, I'm not saying in a worse manner, I'm just saying in a different manner, don't hit me. Guys, get off your fucking high horse with your superiority, you can't find your way around shit either. So women tend to rely more on landmarks alone, whereas men rely more on absolute kind of spatial positioning, so the geometry of the situation, in combination with the landmarks, right? And uh, it's quite interesting because I read a quote a while back from a a woman called Christina Wadkett, who's an information architect. And she said, on the web, everyone's a woman because there is no consistent spatial geometry. We're all forced to rely on landmarks. So there you have it, folks. Uh, Some awesome, awesome ways that you guys can um, start working on getting your memory a little bit better and stronger. All right, I'm going to play a couple more songs and then we're going to come back and close off the show.
1: Resolve into a death and Cause I walk with pride with a black girlfriend. My mom said not to bring her.
0: Of another show, and I, I certainly hope you guys have enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed doing. It. I love doing these kind of shows because people come back to me and they go, "Oh, dude, I, I heard that show and it was absolutely awesome." Uh, you know, give us more of that. And also, it helps people. It gives people things to think about. It informs. So I love being able to do this kind of informative show. So reread over the podcast, write stuff down, and go ahead and try it. It certainly helped me, and uh, I hope it helps you guys as well. So. We've reached the end of another show. We're going to be back next week as usual. And uh, be good to yourselves. Be good to each other. Remember who loves you. Uncle Paulie loves you. And we shall see you next week. Deuces.
1: See her come down through the clouds. let not fuck around Cause you